you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. Was the writer behind Kill La Kill? Oh. And Luke said, "Yeah, this is really like, you know, this part's like Kill La Kill, and beautiful film, mm-hmm. um, you know, as far as its look and and it's interesting that they took American actors and some of them are recognizable, like um, Tom Kinney plays the Penguin. And, I was going to bring Tom Kinney up, and then Tony Hale is uh, the Joker, but they make him do it as if they were." anime characters yeah vocally sure so um so it was a beautiful film but i kind of went like a lot of shout talking and and nothing makes sense yeah nothing makes sense like they're supposed to be in feudal japan they've been sent there by a device that gorilla grod had created but batman only arrives two years later so when even though they're all caught in it right he ends up coming in and everybody else has been there for two years yeah it's a typical so the all the villains have taken over a different province and uh and then but alfred's been there catwoman's been there robin red robin nightwing so there's all these kind of like samurai versions of of them and I, i told luke halfway through i said i would be absolutely satisfied if they kind of like did the was the 50s version of time travel where it was the hypnosis you know that I would have been absolutely satisfied like somewhere if, at in the, time. if at the end it turned out to have all been a dream, like he was in a coma right. and he had this. Because halfway through, they all turn into all the villains end up being like Mecha, and they have giant robots of right. themselves right. that they're and then they form together. So all the all the villains fight, and then monkeys come together to form monkey uh, a giant monkey to fight them. It just gets so bizarre, and all these little samurai monkeys that look sort of like Detective Chimp, and it's like it's visually exciting as heck. And I, but Luke and I both were just going, this makes no sense. Oh, that's, <laughs> so it's right there with a lot of manga. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so. I, I was you mentioned Tom Kenny. I just I've been catching up on the Clone Wars too. I'm into season two, and I just watched the episode the um, the Senate murders. Mm-hmm. And the inspector, um, his voice was driving me crazy. He's drawn kind of like a cross between uh, Peter Lorre. He's, he's drawn very much like a Peter Lorre sound, and his 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 lines are kind of like a somewhat a cross between uh, Peter Lorre and maybe um, uh, who's the detective in uh, the Pink Panther films? Clouseau, uh, Peter Clouseau. Yeah, but he's not as stupid as Clouseau. Um, but I'm, it's going driving me crazy. Who is this guy? Who's this guy? And it's Tom Kenny. And the credits for it, he Tom Kenny's there, and he also did. He also voiced another character, so it must have been like, come in and do this guy. Oh, by the way, can you do this guy while we're while we're well, here? Well, it saves the money. Yeah, sure. 
No, they get, you know, there's, I think that any voice actor who comes in, even the stars, can voice up to three without getting an extra rate. Yeah. So they save money that way by, and when you've got someone like Tom Kenny, who can be so many different kinds of voice. Yeah. So that was a voice like I've never heard him do before. And it was, it was, it was pretty well, cool. this was a case of, I would love to see, uh, I think a more Westernized Batman. I would like to see Tony Hale, a cartoon with Tony Hale as the Joker okay. without being quite so like, you know, the, he's almost like the, the blue meanie in it, you know, Oh, Batman. Oh, you know, it, it was yeah. good. Yeah. And I really love the design for the Edo period Joker. It was like that was a really cool idea. I yeah, I it's I, this is a good one to go in with. I just I, I can't actually recommend it. It's just it was interesting to watch. And if you know that that's what you're getting into, of this isn't going to make a lot of sense, but but the design work is amazing. Like this is one of the few that I've gone. I, I finished one. I I would probably buy it. Too many toys from this. Oh. If they made if they made them like it would they would just go alongside my Ultraman figures I'd be yeah. fine. <laughs> it sounds I mean that that description fits um, something else that I just saw is coming back live action though and that's Aeon Flux. Yes, I just read that too. And, I had, uh, Aeon it, Flux was like never made any sense, you know, especially over one episode to the next. Oh, I watched a couple of those. I remember that. And but just, just going, am- amazing visuals. What a look. What a look. So yeah. let's get into it, shall we? This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I did. Yeah. I did. All right. So, of course, across me, we're, we're doing this virtually because we both had our Father's Day. We did our things. Let's just relax on our own homes. Uh, and uh, did, did Justin make you breakfast? No, he did not. Okay. Did he take you out to breakfast? No, he had to go off to work. Okay, we're podcast shaming then. Okay. Yes. But anyway, uh, so producing this from the Brett Cave while I am in whatever I call my place, uh, the McCavern. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's going to stick. An undisclosed warehouse location is what it feels like. I'm overwhelmed with geeky stuff. McCavern uh, sounds like you ought to be alive by a franchise. Mm-hmm. certainly if anybody would like to take part no i shouldn't say take part of my collection but help me house it someplace so that i have room in my room anyway uh of course there from the brett cave is podcast producer rick brett snyder yes i've decided we have to retire uh the term we've already retired it but you know it, with the world today the concept of a moral compass seems so meaningless there's no point never assigning it to anyone again oh, so I don't know about that you're, you're such a pessimist I'm seeing so many headlines where people are claiming, well, we have, you know, we're just following them. And I go, no, no, you clearly, I guess the polls are shifting indeed. So we have got plenty of news to talk about. And, and I thank you, Rick, for making time on Father's Day, because I just felt that there were a couple of things that had happened last week that we couldn't wait another week to talk about. Yeah. And, and plus the stories are changing every day and, and updating. But anyway, to get to that, before we get to that, of course, if there's anything we talk about on this podcast, book or, or movie that uh, you can own for your very self and you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store, of course, each and every podcast uh, has a page of its own on Fanboy Planet. But every page on Fanboy Planet has an Amazon search box, and you can go through there and you can pick it up from Amazon. We would appreciate it because we are affiliated with them as well as being affiliated with 
Think Geek. So if there's anything that you find through an ad, through going through the ad on Fanboy Planet, we get a small kickback, and we really appreciate your help there. And if you would just like to help defray the cost of the site and the podcast itself, please, you can go ahead and donate directly to PayPal at editor at fanboyplanet.com as well as if you have any questions comments compliments commentary criticism write into editor at fanboyplanet.com you may be listening to this on your favorite podcatcher in which case please you know let them know you appreciate it and if your favorite podcatcher system does not carry fanboy planet let us know and let them know and we'll see what we can do there all right so so we got some comics news we got some movie news some tv news I think mostly our top stories are some of it's a, a bit of updates of old stories, and I just they they affect like the whole it's an umbrella over everything every top, every category. So let us begin with should we start with the good news first, Rick? The um, good, the weird, and the bad, or do you want to go the bad, how the weird, the bad and the good? News. It's weird, and I realize I, it's bad, and I have to go back in and update a story. One of the few that I was able to post last week. And uh, which would be, uh, if, if, if you look, that's the bad news is, okay, I'm going to go with the bad news, and then we'll get better. How okay, about that? good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the bad news, and this went really fast, uh, is that on Friday morning, uh, Chloe Dykstra, who is a well-known cosplayer, and I say that if it sounds like I'm putting that in some kind of caveat, it's only because I really don't know cosplayers by name i mean i've met a couple yeah uh, i guess we know riddle oh we've you both met riddle yeah. and and i know who yaya han is because of the sci-fi but she was a host uh cosplay uh on the nerdist and that's where it comes from she posted and she's also by the way this i had no idea until someone else later commented uh, that she is the daughter of john dykstra the special effects wizard yeah. When, you know, so anyway, uh, she posted and let me phrase it correctly. I think she had identified herself, but oh, she called it an unlisted piece on Medium so that I guess it wouldn't have shown up on their index page, but it was still picked up fast enough, which was her uh, detailing of an abusive relationship that she had been in for three years. And that she, it was mostly emotional, and I don't even want to say mostly, because there are accusations of essentially sexual assault throughout, although, as I know, people kind of go, really? Because she said, you know, she went along with it. She wasn't beaten. She wasn't physically abused that way. But definitely, I categorize it. If you're unwilling, if you feel like you have no choice, it is sexual assault. Uh in this within this relationship uh, that it was very emotionally abusive and she said she did not want to identify the person however uh she did go so far as to provide the details that it was someone who had started out hosting his own podcast which he had parlayed into being the ceo yeah that's, of a major company that's that's i don't want to say who it is but right and i and i yeah. just kind of i and i i guess i understood why she put it that way i I commented on someone else's that I said, it just feels bizarre to me. Like, who else could it be? And if you're listening and going, well, who is it? It's very clear that it's Chris Hardwick. The, she's, out, she'll, she's alleging it's Chris Hardwick. She, uh, he has essentially admitted and just denied her take on it. Yeah. Well, and that's I, why it's... I, I don't know when they were dating 
because, I mean, I followed him for years. I mean, back to Attack of the Show time, uh, time frame. And mm-hmm. um, prior to that, he had gone through some incredible substance abuse problems. He speaks quite free- freely about it. That is uh, true. And um, and now he's married to Lydia Hurst, uh, heir That's to the Hurst. True. Which he has, which he has said, yes. And uh, this would have been probably five or six years ago. She would say whatever time she had started hosting a show on the Nerdist. And again, I would, I don't know what that what that time is because yeah. I wasn't aware. I really, I listened to the Nerdist podcast. I haven't listened for a while. I have, from a distance, thought. Well, good for him. Listened to some of his stand-up that was very geek-centric, and thought, "Yes, good." And I used to listen to, as I say, I used to listen to the Nerdist podcast. Uh, it was three-year relationship, which he does not deny existed. And so that's what I say. Before you start jumping to a defense, understand all the layers of it. Yeah. Which is by Friday afternoon, Legendary uh, Productions, which had purchased the Nerdist Nerdist from. Uh, Chris Hardwick, in which I that I think when that happened, I was like, "Well, there you go. He's just sitting pretty." They've they've take, taken that up. Uh, they have scrubbed all references to Chris Hardwick from their site, from the Nerdist site, other wow. than to say he is currently under investigation and he has had nothing to do with the day to day operations of this company, despite being listed as CEO. He has had nothing to do with day-to-day operations of the company in over two years. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, fairly true. I mean, he... I mean, don't say probably. It is true if well, they're I mean, saying it. They, they've got much better lawyers than Chris Hardwick does. What I was going to say was that uh, even uh, the Nerdist podcast has been... Every time I've listened to it, it's been Jonah Ray and Matt Myra. And Chris hasn't been on it. Well, he has, because got, he has been busy. He's had he's, many other things, including hosting... That game show, multiple the, game shows, the yeah. wall uh, yeah. for NBC, which now the future of that is in doubt because by Friday night, let's say Sunday. So by Friday night, Chris Hardwick has been uh, AMC has had to say, well, maybe this was yesterday that AMC released that the talking dead will not return in its current form. They had one episode ready for the return of the walking dead. Yeah, and Donald Glover was to be the guest, and they've said they've delayed that indefinitely because most of the guests that were scheduled, I don't know how many were actually shot because I've also never watched that show. And I'm not saying that to distance myself from admiration and respect for what the guy had done before. I literally have never watched that show. I've watched it. But he, so I don't know how far in advance they record it, is what I'm saying. I thought it was live from one of his stand-up references to it. No, but I'm, it pretty sure, like it, I'm pretty sure it least. was done live um, after the first broadcast because they would take call-ins. Right okay, there. but whatever the first episode was going to be of this next season, it was not live because it has already been shot. Okay. But it has been it has been shelved. And because most of the guests expressed discomfort with appearing on the show with yeah. him. And he was scheduled to host the Walking Dead panel in Hall H. Right. At the Doctor Who panel in Hall H. Yeah. He has lost both gigs. Yeah, they, uh, the speculation is they'll, they'll replace him with a female moderator. 
Uh, which of course they should, and I or the only uh, the only I, I, the only other moderator for the Doctor Who that should be would be great uh, would be if David Tennant stepped in and moderated, because you know the issue there they said is that uh, is it the Thirteenth Doctor her role? I'm sorry, of course it's late, it's somewhat late, and I'm blanking on her name, the actual actress. Oh, um, yeah. One day it will be like Peter Capaldi. It would just roll off my tongue. Now, Peter uh, Capaldi took a little while to um, Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker. The Jodie Whittaker's role on Broadchurch was that she was an abuse counselor. Yeah. Uh, and so... <laughs> that was ironically brought up as well. Yes, right. So I'm saying that's why it would have been, it would yeah. have been bad. I would, have, I would have said that I'd love to have seen John Barrowman uh, host the Oh, uh, the I, I think actually that would be great. He's a fantastic moderator. Uh, that, would be, that would be good. So we don't know yet at this point. As of this recording on Sunday night of Father's Day, we do not know who will be hosting those. And that's where I say I have to go in and, and update because that announcement came on Thursday and I was like, well, okay, you know, Chris Hardwick, oh, yeah, he gets to, in a sort of a friendly, you know, I will never, ever get to do that. And it's, all, of course, it's Chris Hardwick, you know, just kind of ha, ha, ha. And, like, he feels like king of Comic-Con. And I made a joke about that. And then, of course, the next day, he's been beheaded, essentially. And, yeah. and like I said, he did come out and say he just has, he has a different recollection. I'm sure you can find other things. I think it comes down to that what has really happened, and I know this is a difficult environment for this sort of thing, but there have been a lot of Nerdist employees who have come out and basically said nothing about this surprises them. And you got to remember that it's an accusation. He is, he's being tried pretty much in the court of public <laughs> opinion. I understand that. And, but- and we recently had a case where uh, I've forgotten the, f- the football player's name, but um, he had been accused of abuse and his uh, ex-girlfriend finally came out and said with with no payment, nothing, that she kind of made it up because she wanted to hurt him. Well, and that happened with George Takei recently, too. I do understand that. Yeah. I do. This is why However, it's important I, that we don't. But I also want to say three years ago, people believed that Bill Cosby was innocent. True, and I, I know that seems like an extreme jump, but it's true that there were people that uh, in, within my own family who would immediately say, "No, how could Doctor Huxtable be that way?" Right. So, what I'm saying is, the people that would, a well, yes, this is being the court of public opinion, and you are right. Nothing has been, and Chloe Dykstra, to her own credit, here was saying she was writing this to just get it off of her chest. Not because she felt that anything should, and maybe if someone wants to write it and tell me I'm, I'm misunderstanding or, or misconstruing her comments, that that she didn't, she wasn't doing it to cause some kind of punitive action towards Chris Hardwick, because as a, or, or to that person who would become the CEO, right? However, like I say, is when his employee employees are saying, yes, this seems consistent with the behavior we've seen, which is private. Anybody can put on a good public persona. And if they're good at it, of course, that's what succeeds. That doesn't mean that's who they are. That is one of the good things about comics, I feel, is that, you know, because they're comics artists, they don't necessarily have a polished uh, persona so 
you know, it feels like what you see is what you get uh, with, with people. Because I've heard people complain about it. I was like, yeah, they're just grumpy. Thank heavens. But this, it's, you know, I don't know what the situation is, but we also can't not talk about it. Did I use enough double negatives there? It's it's too big and it has too much an impact in the circles that we are on the very, very edge of. And, uh, you know, I, I got a text from Nate being like, oh, my gosh, because you know he'd met him once and thought, oh, what a great guy. And I'm like, maybe. You know, I don't know. And I say this saying I've never had a personal encounter with Chris Hardwick, but it was dominating and is dominating the new cycles in comics and movies and, yeah. and TV this weekend. So we had to talk about it. Here's the weird news. A smaller one is that Comcast, because AT&T and Time Warner got to approve, their merger got approved, uh, which changes apparently, and this is funny, already people are calling the AT&T switchboard demanding that AT&T release the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, which... <laughs> Jesus <laughs> oh I'm like, God. let it go. It's wow. not gonna happen. Wow. You know? <laughs> it's like, I also don't think, I don't think it'd be better. No, I don't think it, I don't know that it would be worse. But They're just masochists looking for another flavor. <laughs> it's like, like you're thinking that somehow something will play out differently, and <laughs> right. Justice League will be a great movie. Right. Like I told my son last night, it's like you will enjoy some of it. Watch it. You will yeah. enjoy some of it. It's it all no gets better after Age of Extinction. It all gets it's so not... much better after Blue Beetle shows up. You know, uh, don't tell. Now people are thinking, was that in the Zack Snyder cut? <laughs> exactly. Was Blue Beetle there? No. But anyway, so because of that, Comcast counter offered to Fox cash over what Disney was offering in, in stock. stock. Yeah. So the thing is. And I do not understand, pretend to understand high finance. The thing is that Fox had, at least on paper, already accepted Disney's deal, and they were just going through the final steps. So now it's really Disney's ball game. Is Disney going to count? Which I had actually read that I think it's July tenth. Uh, there's supposed to be a stockholders meeting in which Bob Iger is going to make a, was going to make a case already, in case Comcast were to offer more, uh, that they would be prepared to put more into the package to make it worthwhile to Fox. So right now, as I call this, it's Comcast versus Disney versus Fox versus Predator. We don't know where that's going to stand. Comcast owning Universal, which means that there's no iffiness about, say, the Simpsons of the Universal theme parks. Uh, that's fine. I find it somewhat funny to notice that there are Marvel Islands of Adventure ads on the back of this week's Marvel Comics. And <laughs> Smash Puny Vacations just pick one up to see that to remind, you know, that they, they don't care where, UniversalOrlando.com, but there's Spider-Man, who they can't advertise in California Adventure, but they can advertise in Universal. So the thing is, we don't know where that's going to stand and, you know, we, I was just on that panel at Baycon about, you know, is it okay if Disney owns everything? And did we want all those Fox rights where you'd get Fantastic Four and X-Men? And I guess that's really all, all it is in that world. Coming back, to, going to Disney for the first time. Would I feel better if Universal had the film rights to those? I don't know that I would. On, and on the other hand, if your argument is you didn't want one company to own too many things... This doesn't solve that problem either. So 
from a fan perspective, I'd still much rather that Disney comes back and offers enough cash. But we'll see. This is a story that's probably going to be dragging out at least through July, at least through Comic-Con. We're not going to know what's going to happen with that for a while. But it is interesting, and it's all above our heads, and it's how the sausage is made. And ultimately, all I want is one good Fantastic Four movie out of it, please. I just don't know that Universal Studios is the one to do it either. Before we get to your good news, um, there's another there's another kind of breaking uh, story here for gamers. And that is, well, it's, it's broke for a while, but we haven't talked about it. Um, are you familiar with Player Unknown's Battlegrounds? Yeah. PUBG. So PUBG is a Korean company, and they've they yeah. they're they're massively multiplayer multiplayer hundred versus a hundred uh, game uh, has a has another game hot on its heels, which is called Fortnite. Now PUBG, you have to buy the game. Fortnite's free to play. You just download it and right. go. Luke and um, yeah. But PUBG is owned by a Korean company that is now suing Fortnite because they took their idea, which. If this goes anywhere near through, this is gonna this is gonna have ramifications for gaming because there aren't too many games out there that don't have some flavor of somebody else's uh, uh, intellectual property in air right. quotes. Uh, but the fact that it's in Korea, it's likely to fall on the fa- Korean courts as they are typically come down on the side of the Korean companies. Um, yeah, so. And which, yes, uh, it, it is funny because, you know, E3 was last week and I, I, I really kind of stayed away from anything there. But to just the perspective of right or wrong, I think gaming maybe generationally is still sort of seen as a fringe, fringe thing in this country, despite the fact that it is a multi-billion dollar business, if not a trillion dollar business. Go on to Twitch and you see like hundreds of channels of rebroadcasting. Sure, games. but there are people com- that are completely like just still, you know, maybe it's generational, but like going, what the heck is this? Whereas Korea, this it's, could be a national crisis. <laughs> it's a lifestyle in Korea. It <laughs> yeah, is a, you know, it is a, you know uh, Starcraft still yeah, is an yeah. amazing uh, Well, C- City of Heroes lasted far longer than it might have if... Because of the Koreans. You know, because of the Koreans, yeah. yeah. So... Anyway, let's get to the good news update, Yay, which is, you know, that Stanley, I mean, it still is kind of weird. You know, we reported a while ago, you remember Silicon Valley Comic Con, that there was a lot of post-con stuff about how it looked like Stan was being just pushed to the limit, uh, beyond the limit of exhaustion and sort of, a, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to come out and say it, it, it seemed like elder abuse and that his daughter was being barred from seeing him, and there was this guy, Kia Morgan, who was claiming to be Stan's guardian, and Stan was giving videos out saying, Kia Morgan is my friend, and he is the only one who speaks for me, blah, blah, blah. And he, had, while just a month previously, he had had a lawyer drop a statement saying that Kia Morgan was acting against his best interests, and suddenly, you know, so oh, it was... interesting. It was convoluted. It was, and then I, I researched the lawyer. It's probably the closest, you know, the most journalism I've done, honestly, this year, to try to follow and find the pieces and go like, what's going on, without you know, risking defaming anybody, just to say this is just so weird. I've certainly, I think you and I have both been in the positions of dealing with someone who is a nonagenarian, and that there are good days and there are bad days, and Stan 
himself, of course, you know, had, had admitted years ago he was suffering from macular degeneration, so it's hard to see. We've witnessed at certain places, like D23, where it's hard for him to hear. And, you know, yeah. and, and yet also that he is so energized by the love that fans give him. So I was very torn about that, what happened at Silicon Valley Comic Con. Anyway, this week it turns out there's been a several-month undercover investigation and Kia Morgan was arrested. Wow. Uh, and he's out on bail. But he was arrested because, uh, the, if I understand correctly, maybe someone again can correct me, is that there was an incident where the police were called out because two people were trying to break in uh, to assault Stan in his home. Uh, apparently, it turns out, allegedly, it t- turns out that this was actually two security guards who went to Kia Morgan asking for payment and he essentially swatted and called the police and said, you know, swatted being the term, calling under false pretenses. So he was, uh, he's been charged with fa- filing a false police report. He has, uh, Tom Lallis, the, the attorney who had drawn up the document back in February, is now back and has been court appointed as Stan Lee's legal guardian to look out for him to make sure, uh, I can't remember the legal term for what it is, but to make sure that, his assets are in arrears, and the court will be sort of overlooking this and make. Sorry, looking overseeing this. That's better. Overlooking means to ignore. Overseeing Tom Lallis in administering Stanley's affairs, and it looks so. It looks like things are on the up and up. And in addition, Kia Morgan, who very somebody had for the last month had taken over Stan's Twitter and Instagram accounts. Claiming to be Stanley, by the way, a man who has macular degeneration admitted he can't see any interface. Uh, claiming to be Stanley and claiming that he had never been in charge of his social media before. This was the first time. And then was consistently uh, tweeting out photos of Stan, Kia, and celebrities saying, look, here, here we are. We're happy. We're having a good time with so-and-so. Uh, my good friend John Travolta. My, I can't remember who some of the, a couple of the other celebrities were. But then someone sleuthed and realized, yeah, these were all photos that had been tweeted out five years ago by Kia Morgan. So there was nothing new in these photos, but they were being sort of purporting to be. So anyway, he has a a restraining order has been filed against Kia Morgan. And so while the story develops, and I'm sure it's still not over, I would consider this a good thing that Stanley is in the hands of people who will make sure that his remaining years are comfortable and people aren't going to be doing things like taking his blood to mix into a signature embossed on comic books as happened in January uh, to say that it's been signed with sans actual DNA. I mean, this it has been crazy. And what I took away from this and I, I just, anybody listening is the attention to this as potential elder abuse. We pay attention to it because it's Stanley. How many people are suffering this? And and just to want to say, it makes me go, okay, I want to treat my parent better. You know, <laughs> it's just, I, I laugh, but I, I, but I don't. It's like, how many people are just not getting this attention and this care when they were decent people who've just, you know, they've gotten old and they're, and they're not in, in uh, in control 100% of their faculties the way it was. So I think let's turn this into a, into a positive thing as well. You know, I, I heard a little bit from some sources within 
Hero Initiative about their concerns. But the Hero Initiative, really, their hands were kind of tied, this is my guess, because what they're here for is for those unlike Stan, who, you know, Stan allegedly had a crew around him looking out for his best interests. And his financials, he has a lot of money. There's no getting around that. He does have a lot of money. The Hero Initiative, so maybe that's another thing to, as we get ready to Comic-Con, if you're going to go to a con- to any convention where the Hero Initiative has a booth, buy something, donate something, donate some money, because they exist for those creators who, who didn't have that kind of support system around them, who don't have that kind of support system around them. And I think that this is, you know, is a reminder to just, let's look out for each other. You know, I, because there it is. Somebody got in there, as I say in, in the article, but true, Kia Morgan didn't even know who Neil Adams was, but was claiming to be a huge comics fan. Yeah. And, and well, I'm reminded yeah. of a line from Ready Player One. You yeah. know, which is, of course, that fan ba- fanboys know haters, and you know that's that's it. So, yeah, I, you know, we always have to be careful about defining fans, but uh, Neil Adams is is kind of up there. Well, his response was when someone said, "Well, Neil Adams is concerned. Why haven't you let Neil Adams?" Well, somebody who met Stan at a convention once or twice and maybe shook hands is hardly a friend. That was Kia Morgan's response. And you just kind of go, I think they shook hands when Stan Lee hired him to draw the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, and you're not sure who Neil Adams is and the work he contributed to Marvel, and to be fair, to DC. You know, oh, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of a So let's move on yes. to another big story of the week, but it's comics-specific, because I think that's where the benefit is, is that Jeff Johns on Monday it was announced stepped down as chief creative officer of DC entertainment. He has formed his own company, mad ghost productions, which has a first look deal with Warner brothers studios for films, but he's really just focusing on trying to get the DC cinematic universe. He's still working on all that and he's freed up to do comics. My first reaction was, Oh, this is a weird shakeup. And my second reaction after a day was, oh, maybe it'll just get some of these projects that he announced back on schedule, you know, on track. And because he'll be have time, he wanted to do the administrative stuff that right. even though I don't know what it was, what the day to day was for a chief creative officer. But if he's no longer having to oversee everything, he can do the stuff that truly energized him. And so that that is true. We're getting a Shazam series starting and i think uh it just says fall i shouldn't say you know on the dc website and on the mad ghost productions website where that's there in time for a shazam the movie to come out doomsday clock is on on schedule uh or maybe we'll be back on schedule there's more news on that uh the three uh no it's just called three jokers i will not add the this week the ios thank you uh <laughs> yes Three Jokers is a series coming, which is answering a mystery set up in way back when in the, in the Dark Side War in Justice League. And he's returning to work with Gary Frank as well on Batman Earth One Volume 3, which out of all those things is the book I want to see more than anything else. Because certainly there are highs and lows in Jeff Johns' career right. as a comics writer, but Batman Earth One has been such a fantastic rethinking. Both one that- and two. 
both one volumes one and two. But yeah, it's confusing because it is called Batman Earth One. Right. Right. Volumes one and two were such great rethinkings of the mythos, and starting with a young Bruce Wayne, and which is the advantage of those Earth One books. But I, I can hardly wait for Volume Three, and then it's just been delayed. I'd like to see Volume Four of the Superman one too, but I don't know what's what's up with that. Yeah. But because uh, I thought Straczynski was doing a cool job with with that reenvisioning too. I, I enjoyed those, but the Batman was really just the stag- Batman was staggeringly good. And if you're going to go, and I've said this too, it, you know, once again, the rumors are that Matt Reeves is going to reboot Batman for the movies, and they're going to go with a younger actor than Ben Affleck. Well. Go right to Jeff Johns' Earth One books. Mm-hmm. If you're going to rethink think Batman, your template is right there, and that's what should be tra- should be translated to screen. Yeah, I will probably not get my way, but that's but that's what I say. So there's that, and he's also getting his own imprint called The Killing Zone, which is supposed to be dark. The advantage that I see right now is certainly he has introduced characters into continuity in other books, in, in, in other franchises. And I would like to see if this means that we're going to see some original titles from Jeff Johns and see what he can do when he's creating his own sandbox and not just playing in someone else's. Now, on the flip side, of course, Chief Creative Officer now becomes Jim Lee, who knows what that will mean, who will remain co-publisher with Dan DiDio. So it's interesting. We shall see what what happens there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Cinematically, of course, he is still uh, co-screenwriter, or maybe full screenwriter, maybe co, on Wonder Woman 1984. I don't think he's he's listed as screenwriter on Shazam, but it is very clear that Shazam will have his fingerprints all over it, because they're... Hmm. Sorry, taking so much from his comic run, and Aquaman it has something to do with Aquaman, but I'm not sure where. I think that's co-screenwriter as well. I'm happy with Lee stepping in because I don't think I think GC's really at a place right now where they need to stay the course. They need to not mm-hmm. not do another three shakeups in another year. You know that? No, the, I agree. with I that. think they're in I a good no story storytelling position right now. And it's just like Joe Quesada over at Marvel as Chief Creative Officer. I'm not sure, truly, what that role does other than as a representative when you go when you have to go and face the studios. I think Jim Lee, who did a lot to do, had a lot to do with uh, DC Universe Online, that that's going to be you know he he gets jazzed by the by the transmedia nature of the job. Just as much as Johns did, but you know where I think Johns truly excels is in just going ahead and getting to write. Yeah. So let's see, let's see that happen. They also up top announced, you know, confirm he's writing Green Lantern Corps, the movie, currently aimed for 2020. So that's exciting and that's good. We shall see what happens there. To follow up on the Doomsday Clock story, which is the book is called Doomsday Clock. This is the Doomsday Clock story is that it is behind schedule. And so apparently there was a writer's summit in Burbank for DC, and they have said that they've set a firm date where there have been hands-off characters. But whether Doomsday Clock finishes up or not, they are going to allow the rest of the DC writers to play with certain characters. And that would mean, I don't know when that date is, 
they were trying to be polite and, and hands off of Shazam, the Legion of Superheroes, and the JSA because Doomsday Clock was supposed to answer all questions about them. Uh-huh. And they finally said, we've, especially like with the Flash TV show, is clearly bringing and Supergirl are clearly bringing the Legion of Superheroes into the forward people's minds. They got to start appearing in comics again. <laughs> you know, the, I, the closest we've got is in the Terrifics. You've got a Phantom Girl who is an ancestor of Tinya Wazo. She's Linya Wazo, and that's the closest they could do. So yeah. they're saying after a certain date, whether Jeff Johns and Gary Frank make the deadline or not, you can start putting these characters into other books. I I, so, I, I don't really, you know, give them a little time. There's plenty of other stuff they can be done. I don't really see the urgency of going into any of those three areas. I I, I understand. I agree. Then you're with not you thinking transmedia. No, I yeah. I, I'm, JSA I'm, JSA. I can I can wait. I don't see a need for JSA, but Legion has to start showing up in comics. Hmm. Okay. And Shazam's going to have to by you know which to say it will appear in the fall. And when I say the fall, it seems so distant. And then I'm going, crap, it's June 16th, uh, 17th, you know? So the fall's not that far away. Yeah. They got to get people ramped up and excited about Shazam opening in February. Well, the reason, so, the reason why I'm, I'm not feeling the urgency one Shazam, I'll give you Shazam has existed at the same time in different, in different books, in different styles, in different characters, characterizations, uh, it's, it's like fringy to DC continuity. Um, but it, it, and it should be brought back into continuity in a way that works this time, but they really should figure out what that means. Legion of superheroes. I would really like to see that happen, but I want it to happen in a way that doesn't create which the, the problems that have occurred in every other reintroduction of the Legion of superheroes. <laughs> and so take your time. Don't, don't uh, you know? Don't rush into uh... no, no, no. But if you want to play with a character, and in particular, when this is one of those things, Supergirl has clearly introduced with Saturn Girl, Monel, Brainiac Five. Yeah, and I'd say this not having watched it yet, but knowing that they're there, so I'm assuming that's going forward. But do you think those the Flash are the kind of, TV those show? Are the, do you think those are going to be the characters they're going to introduce into the DC universe? I mean, those styles of the characters because they're very different. No, no, no. But it's the, but but the names need to, especially when uh, Brainiac Two was very important to No Justice. Well, and Brainiac, so, Brainiac on Krypton too. I mean, yeah. So you need to go forward with that really cool idea, which caught me up in a Slurpee cup many many <laughs> years ago, of the idea of Brainiac Five. Like I didn't know I knew who Brainiac was. Yeah. And then I got the Slurpee Cup. This is before I read ever read an issue of Legion of Superheroes. And the Slurpee Cup had a little write-up on Brainiac 5. It was like, what a cool idea. There's a future descendant who's good. And yeah. and and that was before they decided that, of course, being super smart man, you had to be a jerk. But, uh, you know, he was still he was still cool. Which does remind me, however, there is a, a story that I saw this afternoon I forgot to put in the itinerary, is that it looks like DC is going to collect, and I'm excited, because I've never read this whole this thing all the way through. Uh, the original Monster Society of Evil serial, 24 stories that ran in Captain Marvel Adventures and I think Wiz Comics. And maybe it was just Captain Marvel Adventures. Uh, they ran across two years, uh, which was basically 
Captain Marvel against the entire Legion of Doom. Now, his own version of the Legion of Doom, all his villains. And this is Jeff Smith version? No, that was his retelling of it in a short oh, okay. graphic novel. We're talking the 40s. This is Otto ah. Binder and C.C. Beck's original 24-part series being collected into an omnibus edition. And I love it since I'm staring at a... Uh, at a shelf full of the DC archive editions. I love seeing golden age stories collected and printed on really good, you know, reproduced really, right, really right. well. And there was a, some, a beautiful cartoony simplicity to CC Beck's artwork that I think a whole new generation needs to get introduced to what a brilliant book that was, even though it's set in the forties, it's still, brilliant stuff and to, to get it on, on high gloss paper $50 for the omnibus edition it's going to be so worth it certainly rumored to be coming out in the fall of course in time for Shazam to to be released but it will anybody who goes to see Shazam which of course cinematically they seem to be all building up to Savannah and you know every now and then Dwayne Johnson says he's still going to play Black Adam in the future so those are the big villains but you read Monster Society of Evil and you realize he's got a rogues gallery that's goofy and fun and everything in tone with him. Uh, my memory tells me it's quite possible there will be a couple of characters that are, shall we say, politically incorrect at this point because they they were war, World War II era stories. So there were a couple of villains that. Uh, you know, wouldn't fly today, but you can still, you know, if you write a good essay about placing it historically, I think it's really, it's really worth the purchase. It's going to be really worth the read. So I'm looking forward to that. And let's go. Uh, Marvel is, and this is something DC has already done, but it's been confirmed that Marvel has a trade paperback calling called cloak and dagger classified. And it turns out it's a digital first series that they've been doing on Marvel Comics Unlimited and selling on Comixology. And, and I, but I'm, I'm thinking back, and I go, DC had done Smallville first, was online, digital, and they'd collect yeah. them and sell them. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a Flash TV comic as well, and Wonder Woman 77 was. I'm not sure if Batman 66 was first digital. I but, don't think so. I don't think so. But it would be kind of interesting considering who... Who's going to go on to Freeform and watch the TV series Cloak and Dagger? They would be the people that, uh, the, likely the audience, uh, who would go on and, you know, they, they would go look for it digitally first. So uh, it makes sense to me. As much as I love comics and going into my comic book store and feeling that hard copy in my hand and, and talking with people, I get it, you know, that there are going to be a lot of people doing stuff digitally and so I just hope that the trade paperbacks sell well too, because I've, I've only watched the first episode. I think you said you haven't watched Cloak and Dagger. No, it's it, I have a browser window with like six different uh, tabs in it that has like <laughs> no, it's got Cloak and Dagger, it's got Runaways, My Hero Academia, it's got right. Uh, so it is running the last on Hulu. Netflix it, one I was annoyed. I think it's interesting that they advertise that by saying like you can watch it however different many like ABC.com, Hulu, and Freeform. And so, yeah, I caught it. Uh, actually, I caught it on demand uh, uh, through Xfinity, the first one. But I'm going to be watching it on, on Hulu, I'm sure, just like like Runaways. It's not a bad. It's not a bad show. It's not. Um, I you know it, it 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 wasn't the first hour wasn't like gripping with superpowers, 
but it actually sets up the characterizations really well. And I will say this, this is just a completely non-spoilery thing. It is some of the best casting as far as younger version of a character and older version, teen version of the character. So Tyrone and Tandy appear as children. Okay. And the actors playing them as children are like so completely believable that they will grow up and become the actors who play Tyrone and Tandy who will become Cloak and Dagger. That I, I just I was I was no pun intended marveling at the accuracy of the casting because I've seen so many TV shows where the kids like that kid's not going to grow to be that person. You know, this is dead on. So really, really great casting. Uh, and interesting. I, I think it was designed as like a two part, like a two hour premiere, but they're showing them as two separate episodes. So I was not as satisfied by the first episode as I would have been, should have been. You know, because they were designing it as a two-hour and still divided it up. So, we shall see. I'm looking forward to that. Let's get to what's in the bag, shall we? Yeah. What's in your bag? Um, it's, it's been a good year so far for number one issues. Yes. And uh, we have a number one issue of a character returning um, in more than ways than one. Thor, number one. God <sighs> of Thunder Reborn. Um. What's noteworthy? Oh, this is this is um, it, it. It it feels like some of the other ones we've seen recently because it's two separate stories. Uh, both are written by Jason Aaron, um, but the one that that really brought it home for me was uh, the first one, which is God of Thunder Reborn, and the artist is Mike Del Mundo, who you'll probably remember uh, spotlighted on the Vision uh, miniseries, and uh, he actually did. He did. He did a number of issues of uh, the female Thor, um, whose secret identity? Oh, Jane uh, Foster, <laughs> Thor. Yeah, we like, are getting old. We no, uh, uh, it's so many things to think about. You know, um, exactly. But, That's and, what it is. Our hard drives are just full. Our, our, yeah, definitely. Um, what was your name again? No. the The thing about Del Mundo <laughs> is he is he is a core comics artist. I just his um i'm like looking at a panel right now where this juggernaut of a character is striding forward and the sound effect wraps around his body filling the background of the panel i mean he doesn't do uh, a lot of of uh background detail it's mostly color swashes and fades and and stuff but his his dynamics are so good um I'm looking forward to, to. I'm hoping he's got a run on this to go for a little while. So, well, let me ask you a question on Jason Aaron because he has been writing Thor for so long. Yeah. Do you think he will stay? Has he just been? And, I, and I'm saying this completely. Uh, you know, I've been going back and reading some and really enjoying it. Will he stand as one of the great Thor writers alongside, say, like Walt Simonson? Definitely Stan Lee, of course, having started it, but yeah. But would you would you place him alongside? Is there going to be say if you had a Thor bookcase or section of Thor, like I know if I had Hulk, I would have Planet Hulk and then I would have Peter David stuff and they stand side by side for me. Uh Greg Pack and Peter David. Does Jason Aaron stand alongside Walt Simonson, who would be my Thor first on my Thor bookshelf? Yeah, I think that, I mean, one thing, I'm not sure how many actual issues, how many years did he do Thor? Was it, was it two? He did, no, he did the previous, he, he wrote, and then he wrote all of the Jane Foster stuff. 
as well. Oh, he did. So it's all been this huge epic going okay. from the unworthy. White, no, to, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Simonson. Yeah. Oh, Simonson. Simonson. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Simonson it was probably about two years. Yeah. But how much he. No, that's what I was going to say. The mythos, you know, I, is, I think Simonson. I would have, I would have been concerned that Simonson couldn't have kept up what he was doing for that much longer. That that he did so many breakthrough things with Thor, um, from both a storytelling and a character development uh, right. way, and and Simonson still was still kind of fresh in his his reinvention of use of panel and sound effects sure, and sure. all that. So I think that that's where we, we all have a really warm spot in our heart for Simonson's Thor. And I think that, um, that Aaron is potentially pacing himself for a longer run. And I, you know, all the stuff, all the Jane Foster stuff was, uh, well, and, and both, both, has both heroic too. and, and, grand and heartbreaking and i don't remember anything that hit me as emotional in um in simonson's work it was certainly amazing comics and very heroic but i don't remember uh any any kind of sweeping emotional effect that that had on well me. i think I, that's the that's the time though is you could say yeah, yeah. jason Aaron has been writing six years for thor and yeah. Probably what's fit into his six years would have fit into two years for Simonson because of the style of the time. Right, right. But that's yeah. not, and but that contributes to what I would have on my shelf. You know, it's, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. No, I was just curious because yeah. you know, like I say, I, there are stories that have affected me deeply in various characters. I would agree with you that Thor has been one that is like there are great excitement. I'm just curious on Jason Aaron because I'm just starting to go back and read through Jason Aaron's run and going, yes, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. But I don't know what I go, you know, is he, he's good. Is he great? Whereas I think Simonson was great. So is he great is the question. Well, you don't have to answer it tonight. No, because I, I really respect when like somebody make it's like Ben, Brian Michael Bendis on ultimate Spider-Man where you sort of just go, this was an amazing, you, when you take the whole thing, no pun intended, what an incredible body of work that is. What an incredible arc, epic! I don't know how to how to phrase it. You know, what an incredible time for that character, and so I think. And the, I mean, he 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 created. He didn't just borrow the Spider-Man character, of course, because he was dealing with with uh, uh, a different Spider-Man. But he also created a, a, an incredible cast, of, a supporting cast. Well, no, I mean, he re, he rethought Spider-Man for the first yeah. time, and then he created Miles Morales. So yeah. you've got to give. That was amazing. Let me get to my first book, and I know you know what it is. Uh, in fact, oh, I had to run to the I store right here. I was gonna, so I, was gonna I could get it. Tease you by taking it if you didn't take it. Aha! Uh-huh, that's why I'm taking it first because I knew you you would try to snake it from me, which is of or eel it from me. Eh, that pun does not work. Sure, that doesn't work. Not at all. Plastic you, Man number one. I gave one you the wiggle room for that one by Gail Simone and Adriana Mello. Colorist Kelly Fitzpatrick, really great color by the way. Letterer Simon Boland. And I have the Amanda Connor with Dave Johnson cover. I'm hoping that they give me nothing but variant covers because I've seen some of the variant covers ahead of time. And going, each one is something that I want. I don't want it to have anything to do with the with the contents inside. They're such just great covers. Anyway, uh, this is it's like Legion of Superheroes. I think that they can reintroduce without really talking with continuity. This is unfortunate for me 
only a six-issue miniseries because one issue in, and I'm going, all right, she, Gail Simone, just did what a char- what a writer should do when you're tasked with reintroducing a character to a new generation of readers, which is, I appreciate rethinking what Jack Cole's original story would have been if he were writing it today. So she's got so many of the elements of E.L. O'Brien's story. What's missing is the rest haven. And I say this, you know, you've joked about this being, you know, he's my favorite character, but I've read that first Jack Cole story uh-huh. so many times because of it being in the great comic book heroes by Jules Pfeiffer, which for those formative years, say ages six to nine, that was my one hardback book, you know, it was like, uh, other than Dr. Seuss, you know, uh, you know, that I would, that I owned and that I read over and over. So there are a lot of those golden age stories that I just know by heart. They've probably faded because you said how much is in the, the old hard drive now, but there are panels that I know exactly. And I can say you resident. she even lifted dialogue from Jack Cole's original story and put it in there where, where it wouldn't, you know, where it wouldn't stand out. So she's re- where it fits in continuity, I have no idea. It, because it clearly <laughs> is before the terrifics. Although, let's just enjoy comics and say it doesn't matter where it fits. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's kind of sideways to the terrifics. Like, yeah, and, and the plastic... Because he alludes... Man, he, he kind of... Al- this, he alludes no, to other mind. heroes. Yeah. But nobody knows that E.L. O'Brien is Plastic Man, and yet <laughs> in the terrifics, uh, they do call him O'Brien. Metamorpho calls him O'Brien a lot. So, yeah. you know, it's clearly, you know, this is kind of going back in time, maybe establishing where he would have been in the rebirth era. Uh, Adriana Mello's art is great. The coloring is fantastic. And, oh, just seeing Plastic Man, there's a panel that's been all over the, the internet. Plastic Man posing as Wonder Woman. And the reason why he yes. does it is so, like, the Plastic Man logic, where, it, as I've, I've said before, that when you read, really read through Jack Cole's stuff, Plastic Man is the only sane person in an insane, in a world gone insane around him. And so his being funny and his being all this stuff, his cr- acting crazy, he doesn't really act all that crazy in the original stories. But this is just more whimsical. And I, I kind of buy into it. And it's, as much as I've enjoyed other Plastic Man stories, this gets back to the really taking advantage of he was a criminal first and he's done and he did something and probably many somethings really bad. Right. And is trying to make up for it because now he can. So you've got the pathos, but you've also got the fun. And this is just a, a terrific, terrific book. No pun intended with his other title, but I really wish that they would just, Tell Gail Simone she can write Plastic Man for as long as she wants. Because already with issue one, I am in love with this book. Of course I would be. It's it's not a hard sell to make me love a Plastic Man book. Just no. be good at it. Just Let me ask you a couple it. of questions. Because there were some things about this that did bother me, though. Um, he gets beat up in the front, and he's bleeding from the mouth. And... And he gets, and then he's laying on the sidewalk, and I cannot. I've read and reread and reread. I cannot figure out if he's actually hurt, or if he's just playing. The the little girl comes out of the mist with the whole leading into the whole Wang joke. Yeah, and 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 then he kind of pops back into Plastic Man, and then the next panel, it's like nothing ever happened. He's flying. It's flying over the city. I you know? think he. I think he let himself go. 
you think I, he? I think there will be an explanation. I got to trust. I, I'm with you that I thought, wait a minute, is that supposed to be? And I'm, uh, you know, I felt a little disoriented by the first few pages, but then I thought, this is typical. If he's trying to stay un- undercover, it's yeah. exactly something he would do, which he did do in the original story. He didn't get beaten, but he does show up to his old gang in the original origin story and calls him, you know, he's mad at the rats for, for leaving him behind. And so this is, again, a modern a modern take, but I, I get I get what, you, what what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I'll call it a mistake, but I but if it meant that we've got a character who doesn't know if his slang term of Wang is good or bad, right? It right. reminded me a lot of myself. Is sick good <laughs> again? You know, I we, I've gone through that where you've seen like so. Does it, it still mean? Yeah, and it just and and really, I wasn't thinking of the dirty thing. I was thinking of uh, oh, he says it out loud. If you've got. Um, no, but I think why why Gail Simone used it is that Michelin Web look has an ongoing sketch, a recurring sketch about Number Wang. It's a game show that makes no sense whatsoever. Okay. And they go, that's Number Wang. And so every time we're saying, like, when he clearly does not know if it's the right if it's the right usage or not, is like, yes, I just kept hearing that's Number Wang every time. So I know yeah. she likes British shows. I could be wrong, but I think that's the connection. Anyway. The other thing, the other thing, took me a little bit out of it, and it's is a visual, and I I should just let it go. But when he changed into the sports car with apparently working headlights and an engine, uh, he did that in the comics all the did time. He? Yeah, okay. and yeah, you just sort of had to let that go. I'm yeah. with you. It, it does, uh, it does so not Chairs, make sense. Doors, but doorways. He becomes everything. He was a lamp. You know, no, that no, was, I, I, statues. Yeah. I, I can get all that, but when he turns into machinery, I, I little it takes me out of it. But hey, I enjoyed it. I think I actually have a, a Brave and the Bold uh, Happy Meal toy where he's a car. Oh my! So yeah, I did it on the. He did it on Brave and the Bold. Yes, and you're right. Look, it defies. But again, we're talking about a man who can change his shape into anything, and we're finding uh, but a car. That's where we draw the line. You know, I. I <laughs> you got to get back into just enjoying the story because he's the kind of character that you have to do that. So what's next on your stack? Next is another issue number one. All mine are too. Okay. Okay. This one, I, I'm, I'm fearful that I'm going to take, take it away from you, but it's one of the few that I read this week because I've been really busy. That's Hawkman number one. Oh, no. I have an extra just in case. Okay, so good. I was going to let you have that. So, um, uh. You know, I what I really what I missed out is there was a, uh, a an artist whose name I can't pronounce, Stefan Sejak, I think is is close, who had done the cover. I didn't get that cover. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to buy the next issue of this because it just it it felt like it's all over the board and very thin. I did appreciate, you know, we've always had Hawkman as the we haven't always had it, but in recent history in the last last five to ten years he's been the hero that reincarnates over time Mm -hmm. and at the same time we've had stories where he's an alien and apparently i missed this he was a kryptonian Um, no i think that's a new is that okay that's that's just an offside offhand to kind of flush it out but the idea so that in season three of krypton you can have hawkman there you go (laughs) But the, he not only reincarnates across time, but also across space. And I liked that idea. 
I thought that was, I mean, this is a way to tie together the mythology of oh, he's I, earthbound I, and then he's an alien. And I which think one you've is cut he? short how many years that's been. We yeah. want to say 510. This is like that, that moment we had at Baycon where he said, like, you cut a decade off. Dr. Manhattan's gone to your head. He's been the, the reincarnating hero for at least 20 years. And that's been the problem. He's never been one that I've read with any any continuity, and certainly not. No, 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 and, and that's and, yeah. the, and that's true. But there was an issue yeah. where, uh, there, you know, Hawkworld messed things up way back in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. So you had Katar Hall, and then sometime in the '90s, they brought Carter Hall back and went, "How do these coexist? Why do this?" And blah blah blah. And then I think you had Zero Hour again, change things a little bit. Was it he fe- featured in Countdown or the following series? With Adam Strange? Oh, there was, yeah. There was one in Infinite Crisis. So there was a, an issue where, uh, I think it was in the early in the JSA run, uh, that James Robinson and Jeff Johns wrote, where he, Katar Hall, died and sacrificed himself, and then out of the reincarnation pit in Thanagar, out came Carter Hall. And it was just like, what? You know, like he was called across time. So it's been confused, confusing. And, I mean, he was killed in at the end of Blackest Night. And so it's it's always been weird, especially when you get the Thanagarians who are all Hawk soldiers, but you've had this Hawkman for thousands of years, including, what's his, uh, was he Nighthawk in the Old West? That was established way back when. Yeah, yeah. By James Robinson. So in a time has passed. And... You know that he's appearing. He's also the Silent Knight, I think. That they they, that they tied him in retconned. That the Silent yeah, Knight yeah, that's was. showing up on the fl- on the splash page, I think. Right, and then in Metal, the Forge kind of estab- established a few more identities. Yeah. So I think they're adding some in. It's just like when Dark Knight Metal started, and you had Challenger Mountain, and it had a completely different role right. in continuity than it had ever had before. That you know, this is opening up the storytelling and. I, I, I'm with you because even as it's Brian Hitch art, it feels a little rushed. It, it doesn't yeah. feel like Brian Hitch art the way I love it. It's not a bad story, and I'm I might I, I think I'm going to give it my three issue. I like Hawkman, I, but I didn't love it. I'm with you. I didn't love it. I liked it, but yeah. with that tone of voice, I liked it. But yeah, I, didn't love it. I I have to I have to give you my experience though. When he, there's a point where he goes in and sees Madame Xanadu, and I love it when they bring her in as a MacGuffin to explain stuff because they always do a good job of reintroducing her in a store. And and this yeah. was a particularly good good one where she gets she changes out of her work clothes into and they just sit down and have coffee. But then he falls through some wall of reality that she sent him through, and all this exposed stuff about his past and his future. And then there's this, this is incredible scene, you know, it's like a devastated potential future world earth. And then then he's following and you turn the page and if you turn the page just right, you see plastic man coming down out of the sky because it's the ad for plastic man. I'm going, Oh my God, he's all of a sudden plastic man's in the story. There've been a couple of comics recently where they've done that kind of thing where they have a page page, especially those uh, Milky way. Oh yeah. Where you flip and you go, what, what? It's doomsdays all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that was, uh, that was the. Which, oh my gosh, this is the first time I, I thought, look at the back thought, page. You realize there's a soundtrack album for metal? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, it's coming that soon. Ex- that explain. No, I think I saw the picture discs at the comic shop tonight. Okay, but I didn't know what it no, was. It says coming soon from Warner Brothers Records. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Both available for streaming and digital download now. I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah. So there you go. My next number one. Uh, I have a Marvel number one and a Netflix number one. Wow. I'm or it's Netflix an image. Somewhere. It's an image comic, but it's the first under the Netflix imprint. So okay. let me, I'm going to take a risk with this. I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll scramble if you've done something else. But the first Netflix is the first Miller World post Netflix buying it. So it's Mark Miller and Oliver Coipel doing the Magic Order. Did, I, did you pick this up? No, I did not. Okay, so it's their take on the magical world. It still kind of fits in the Miller world, but I think the implication of the Netflix deal is that it's a little easier to go transmedia. There might be a TV series coming. And, of course, you know, he always writes like you feel like, yeah, it's going to, uh, you know, he's going to sell it to somebody for adaptation. Uh, There's a Mandrake-like character. There's a Constantine-like character, maybe a Zatanna and basically, it's about there has been this organization of magic users for centuries keeping the world safe from the supernatural. And in the first issue, someone is going around killing them off. And who and why that some of it is being answered by the end of the first issue to draw you into the second. But it's an interesting portrayal of you know, of a definition of the family and families, because it's clearly like almost, you know, there are clans of magic users around the world. And I, I'm going to guess because this often happens with Miller stories. The protagonist is a scion who has turned his back on the family because of a failure in his own past to save a loved one. And therefore he, just wants to live a normal life and he's going to get drawn back in to this magic war. And it was, uh, Kuypel is just, you know, he is fantastic, uh, fantastic art. I think he had a run on Thor for a while. Beautiful, beautiful art, interesting story. Even though, you know, some, you know, the, the stereotypes of some of the characters, the archetypes, I guess is the better word for it. It's just really well done. And I just noticed looking in that there's actually an AR thing involving a, a card trick uh, that now I have to figure out how to do because it's aimed the monocle on your telephone to the spellbound card below, which I don't even know. It'll, you know, what do you mean my telephone monocle? What are you saying, you jerk? <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't know, but i got to figure it out because I want to, of course, I love AR, little, little bonuses like that, but I, I just really enjoyed the book. And so I highly recommend The Magic Order by Mark Miller and Oliver Coypel. Oh, Olivier Coypel. I'm sorry. Your your next one. My number one. My number three is actually issue number three of the Man of Steel. Um, revealed the maniac who killed Krypton. Diamond uh, shorted. Did you read this diamond uh, shorted elusive. Oh, that's too bad. So it's. I'm getting it next week. Okay. So um, this is. Issue three of six. So we're, we're coming up to the midpoint on it. And it's actually, the storyline is developing pretty nicely an arc along that, uh, that, uh, the curve that you want to come, come down to a sixth yeah. issue. And, um, I think this course, Bendis guy has a future. Yeah, I think probably does. And of course you got artists like, uh, Ryan Sook and Jason for Fabo- 
Yeah, that box. And uh, the there's you you can't you, you can't beat the art that's in this book. Um, the first you know, seven or so pages are pretty much silent. Maybe one or two word word panels as we watch uh, the big bad show up and do some pretty evil stuff. Um, when we get to when we get to uh, Superman, who is again dealing with this, these mysterious fires that are happening happening in mm-hmm. um, in Metropolis. He's he's brought Batman into the case. I only say this because there's a particularly great great line that that uh, Batman gets to deliver um, because the police chief and Batman and Superman are looking through the rubble trying to determine if there's uh, a, a cause, some some uh, link between the fires. And all of a sudden, Superman's gone, and and the police chief is like very disturbed. This and Batman says uh, something I have learned: if the politest man in the galaxy has to be somewhere so fast that he can't say goodbye, there's a good reason. <laughs> so the the Batman calls him the politest man in the galaxy. It's, it's true. Like, he is. It's 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 yeah the Boy yeah. Scout. But there's just some horrific stuff that happens to. Uh, Superman and actually uh, Supergirl is probably even more affected by it. Um, and it, it, for me, it runs in conflict to what we, what we already went through in the uh, Mr. Oz series when things got torn down in the, uh, in the chamber of solitude and the, the uh, pardon me, the uh, chamber, fortress. Uh, the fortress, fortress of solitude. Um, and that Turned bothered your me. Savage fan card. Yeah, I know. I know basically, I know. You <laughs> oh, I kept on thinking it can't be fortress. Can't be fortress. That's Doc. No, I'm just kidding. The 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 thing about this book is, I know Bendis is is doing kind is doing a not, not even a soft reboot, but adjusting the story that he wants to tell. Um, but I I don't like it when it it has reverberation and. Uh, contact with stuff with stories we've just been dealing with mm-hmm. in in the story in the storyline i you know yeah I, I actually uh i i like i buy you know superman action and and the super sun stuff um regularly always and so the story the continued storylines in those are what make me buy all three of those books um so anyway uh, but you know, with the last panel, we're we're launching into uh, the the confrontation, and uh, this is turning out to be one of my first reads on the stack. You know? So, Man it, of Steel it, number it, it three would have been for me. If uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so my last recommendation is Rising Alpha number one, uh, which is the first ever official team up. Although I guess really there was a preview issue for free, but the first official team up between Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel. And many other characters are going to come in, but this is really focusing on that, uh, on those two characters. Devin Grayson is the writer. I know she's been still around in the industry somewhat, but I haven't seen her name on a book that I've bought in a long time. So welcome back to my attention, Devin Grayson, for whatever that's worth. Uh, She was a great writer on Nightwing way, way, way back when and did some fantastic Batman work and... She is doing some fantastic work here. This is a book, maybe not for gentlemen in their 50s, but for the people that 
that Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel are aimed at, the teens, the young young YA readers. This is a great, great book, and it's dealing with sexism in, game, in the gaming community. Wow. And beginning with a young uh, programmer in a high school program, uh, in a high school enrichment program, who she is being bullied by the, me- the boys in her class. And I thought, this is really timely. It's a really good way to handle it. And uh, it turns out that she had been affected by the Terrigen Mist. And so, you know, maybe we're getting a new, well, not maybe, we are getting a new character out of it. Seems who, likely. <laughs> who will be recurring. But, but it's a great, a great reason for Kamala Khan and Doreen Green to actually meet up. And kind of the joke about uh, as they are sussing out each other's identities, it's it's very funny. My only down the only downside of this book, and I and I brought this up at the store today this afternoon when I finally get in there. I, I guess it's a longer story than we usually get, but it's four ninety nine. And when you have something like this, a book that is aimed at let's get new readers involved, don't put it at the highest price point. You know, I know it's not. Oh. They could have gone higher, but you know, three ninety nine. Okay, I'm still unhappy with that sometimes, but okay, I get it. Make it a three ninety nine book. To make it a five dollar book is, I it just it just seems prohibitive. Is the page count higher? I, like I said, I think it's a little longer story, but they've been able to do two ninety nine books and three ninety nine books, and yeah. you know, and I, and I think this is one that would have easily landed itself to. Uh, to digital but the other thing is this is going to be an ongoing it's a whole little epic of fun characters but you know so it goes to marvel rising uh ms marvel and squirrel girl number one on sale august 1st and then there's there's a finale of marvel rising omega so this was alpha then there's a story in the middle and if they're all 4.99 you know it just seems like the people that you want to get into buying this stuff I, i again i just think do it a little, little cheaper because I could see, uh, you know, an eight-year-old girl looking at this and going, "These are fun characters. I want to buy this book." And then it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sensitive. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm sensitive about the pricing on books. Um, that I'm, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to think about it too much. But I think that there are people that, that do. And if comics oh. are going to be, you know, oh. going in here. In, in the meantime, they advertise in the back, and I gotta get that. I think I might for myself. Is there's a, a book coming for young, literally young readers by Jim McCann and Dario Brazella. That's uh, Marvel Superhero Adventures. It's it's Ms. Marvel, uh, Spider Man, and Lockjaw teamed up. So I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, I may have to buy no, this kid's book. Yeah. You're totally on with the the pricing bit. I. You know, anybody who hangs around a comic shop, event, you will you will occasionally have somebody come to you and say, "Well, I've got a seven year old who really wants to read comics, and or I've got a thirteen year old who I'm trying to get to read, um, and what do you recommend? What can you tell me?" And it's not unusual that what I, I'll I'll point out something and I'll say that that one seems like a good match, and they'll look at it and go, "That's kind of beyond our budget." And people do have budgets, you know they they yeah. they. They they can only they they say well we're we're really only going to spend three dollars you can get a Hot Wheels car yeah I don't think you get a Hot Wheels car for three bucks no I think you still but, can I think you still okay. can you get a Hot Wheels car or a comic and you know it's like wow this is your sugary snacks money it's like, yeah no yeah. exactly so anyway 
we can't solve that tonight. Let's uh, let's talk some movies. I don't mean to be short shrift that, but we, no, no, we no. really can't solve it. We'll just complain for months and months. And Maybe we had two nights. Yeah, and a few nights. So uh, movies. Let's talk about that. Uh, Legendary announced that they're scouting locations for their uh, their version of Dune. So does this make the third cinematic? Ver- I mean, it was sci-fi. If they produce it, it'll be the third produced. Uh, the third produced series. Dune. There is, of course, a, a fourth one that didn't get made. Right, and, and and you have to. The Sci-Fi Channel actually did two Dune movies. They did Children of Dune as along after yeah, Dune. Yeah. So, so I don't know who's going to be in that. I was just thinking. I was just listening to. Uh, I think it was Alec Baldwin interviewing Kyle MacLachlan on "Here's the Thing." And talking about his time on Dune, and I was like, "Yeah, that was an interesting, interesting movie." And so to have another version coming forward, yeah, I'll see it. Uh, I still, I still love the Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, well, that's the one. That's the David. Yeah. It, does that, you really think of it as a Dino De Laurentiis one when it's a David Lynch film? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I, I take that back. There's an Alan Smithy version where they put footage back in. He did not. Have yeah, yeah. So that one, I think there was a laser disc made of that. You know, a few weeks ago, I was excited that they'd finally shown at Cannes uh, Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. It existed. It was finally made. It's this film where just everything that could possibly go wrong in the production of it went wrong, and he finally, finally did it with like on the third try with a completely different cast than he had originally intended. And uh, French court ruled they didn't have the rights to make the movie in the first place. So the movie wow. tied up again in court, and I may not live long enough. I don't think Terry Gilliam's going to live long enough to see the man who killed Don Quixote released it's, in it's, theaters. You don't want to be involved in anything having to do with French courts, Let's really? Say, okay, oh, well, yeah, yeah okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just like, ah, uh, and I thought it was worth bringing up uh, on the Marvel movie front. Both Benicio del Toro and Jeff Goldblum this week talking about other films have mentioned how they would like to return as the collector and the grandmaster and work together. But they've not that Marvel has said that, but they've got the interest, you know, that these two actors actors are interested in. They would like to return to the Marvel universe, despite both of their fates at the moment, seeming very up in the air in the movies. I would love to see after you finish Thanos, just go to these goofy. What was their, uh, what was their race called? Because they, they're brothers, but brothers they're the, more by they're the elders. The elders. They're the elders of the universe. And didn't Del Toro? He Del Toro had like maybe on on film on camera for like maybe two minutes. But damn, he was I, great. I think he was, Del Toro has more time on the ride than he does yeah. in. <laughs> he he had he had, and it was very meta because he was playing Thanos's. Yeah. version of him too which was uh that was just uh it's a it's a wonderful performance i would i would love to see jeff goldblum actually i'd love to see benicio de toro and uh jeff goldblum in it in a any standard movie as well just the you know doing shooting dialogue back and forth well you know there there is a painting of them both in the guardians of the galaxy mission breakout ride oh my which is have that. you have you not noticed that no Okay, when you go into the lobby and you're about to enter one of the chambers where the collector then you know gives you this the speech. Right, right, right. Uh, just to the left, there's a painting, and I love it because it's so much like I love this kind of you know in between the lines continuity that it's so clear 
that the collector commissioned the painting. Okay. Because it's about him beating the, <laughs> the oh, grandmaster at a game. And so Jeff Goldblum is portrayed as like he's clearing the pieces, throwing the pieces off oh. the board angrily while the, while the collector just looks on smugly. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whole story there. <laughs> I love this. I, I love that. There's a story we'll never know about the making of that painting, but it's so clearly a painting that the collector would have, not one that the grandmaster would have. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this week we also saw pictures. Uh, officially, Warner Brothers released to everybody pictures from Wonder Woman 1984, and Entertainment Weekly got the first photos from Aquaman. So I don't know if you've seen. Either I ran the Wonder Woman pictures because Warner Brothers sent them to me. We get a e- EW. EW uh, was exclusive, yeah. yeah. So the you know the interesting things from Wonder Woman 1984 are Steve Trevor's there, and Chris Pine is back, and I don't know what that means other than I there's got to be some other force at work besides the cheetah the, to explain why Chris Pine could why Steve Trevor could make it back to the 80s after having clearly died. At the end of, of Wonder Woman, but I'm I'm willing to go along for the ride with Patty Jenkins and oh, find it's out. Comics, it's his son. <laughs> That's like, oh no! If they pulled that TV, the CBS ABC switch, where yeah. where Lyle Wagner was Steve Trevor and his look identical lookalike son, Steve yeah. Trevor Jr. Uh, please, <laughs> my son looks a lot like me, but no one's ever gonna say when we're older, ooh, they uh, look identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. And so anyway, but the Aquaman stuff, what I love about it is that it, it, it feels like it's doing what I wish more. Well, Marvel has been doing, which is really doubling down now on, yeah, it is comics. You get a look at black Manta. That helmet looks exactly like black Manta. No, this is what it would be like in real life. More importantly, what are the Atlanteans shown riding? Giant seahorses. This movie is going to be silly and fun, and still. Didn't have... they show the seahorses for a second in the uh, in the Justice League movie? I don't think they. Could Maybe they did. That requires us paying more attention to the Justice League movie, which I have not done yeah. yet since, since yeah, but the first time. I was looking in the background more than I was looking in the foreground in that movie too. So. How dare you when Jason Momoa is on screen? <laughs> he will reach out and smash your head. Anyway, uh, they they there's a back of the head shot of Volko, so Willem Dafoe, Amber Heard as Mira, and then uh, Nicole Kidman as Atlanta, and so I'm you know I was disappointed with the shot of Patrick Wilson as Ocean Master because I was hoping to see the real Ocean Master helmet, but uh-huh. we are promised by James Wan that the trailer will be shown at San Diego Comic-Con, which means that within an hour of that DC, that Warner Brothers panel, that they will, you know, that'll be online. And they've learned from the past. They will not try to hide it. That'll just go out. So that's my guess. I'm not going to say that for sure, but that's but that's my guess. Because they, they learned after Suicide Squad when they tried to, this is, ex, you know, exclusive for, for Comic Con audiences, and then it had le- you know it leaked within a, within an hour, and so the next day they had to begrudgingly say, "Well, here it is." I'm like, no, just, just do it. This is the age, you know. This is the way it is, and we're we're waiting for it. So I'm looking I, forward. Although I've heard I, criticism, and you tell me if you think this, okay, which is that uh, that their fear is if 
if it's true that one of the things that undid Solo was that the publicity started so quickly, so close to the actual opening, is not the same thing happening with Aquaman. You know, that, that even though it's going to open at Christmas, we well, won't... We had a long discussion about this last week. And, right. And I, I really don't believe um, that once... A movie with any kind of presence... Uh, is going to is going to do and do whatever it's going to do regardless of how early you start advertising it. I've never understood the the year ahead of time, um, other than you know, it, the only thing I think you can potentially do is get kids to start saving their money for movies, but I don't think that happens anymore either. The the uh, no yeah, I, I I I think that it's just it's it's just a factor of you know what else what was going on during that time. And but you have how, to. But how many remind me? I have to save my money for all the Aquaman toys because yeah, I didn't think true. I was going to live long enough that there would be a line of just Aquaman toys. So, one thing I hadn't realized was uh, until I saw some of the pictures. They've got this great picture which shows you the set lighting for an underwater scene, and you and you got to assume that it's uh, Mira's air bubble thing again, pressing mm-hmm. the water out. Um, but it's 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 in production, so you've got Aquaman and Mira and somebody else across the table, and then you got James Hahn standing there. He's like James he's Juan. Like, Juan. He's he's doing the the uh, the director holding up his hands, framing a shot kind of thing. The guy is he is very small. <laughs> he is not a tall man, um, and I mean Mira oh, is a full a- head taller. Amber Heard is an Amazon, and then James right. Momoa. He's oh, a yeah. god striding the earth. <laughs> so right. I but had when, to post on Facebook, thank God he's on our on side. Our side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if he turns evil, we're helpless. <laughs> oh, that happened several times in, in Stargate. <laughs> but then he was he was convincingly uh, uh, dangerous. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I was just, it's, it, it looks like wish fulfillment for a child. I'm directing an Aqu- Aquaman movie. Um, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. it. It of of all the DC movies that have come out late, and I'm including an incredible amount of years in late. Uh, this one actually, I think, may pull it out. Okay. Uh, Wonder Woman did too, but well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so excited about that movie. I can't even express it because, as you say, it's child's wish fulfillment. This is. You know, one of the first characters that I absolutely, absolutely fell in love with as a kid, long before I read comics, or long before I read about him in comics, you know, because of Super Friends. And I will admit that that was it. And the Mego action figure. And then suddenly I got a Justice League that had him in it and was like, ah, there's more Aquaman to be read, you know. And and so I, I have loved it. And if they borrow a little bit from Jeff John's run on Aquaman, that's great because that was one of the best runs Aquaman's had. So I look forward to that. Let's turn to television. A couple of things here. Uh, this is the era of new networks picking up and saving shows. Yeah. Uh, the Vertigo based series, Lucifer, which was canceled by Fox after three seasons, has been picked up by Netflix, where I must assume it's doing very well in streaming the previous three seasons. So Netflix is, is investing in this. And that is the first, I think, Warner Brothers slash DC Comics series that they are producing. But 
you know, they've got to hedge their bets because there's still the rumor that with the, uh, you know, with the DC, uh, not whatever the Disney streaming service is, that all those series may go to the to the Disney streaming service unless it is you know G and PG strictly because I think that uh, the the Netflix series are a little more intense than what what you would expect from a Disney Channel sort of or yeah, a Disney yeah. XD show. But uh, it is interesting. I you know I've watched a few episodes of Lucifer. I got nothing to say. I kind of enjoyed it, but it wasn't enough to make me go back, you know? So, yeah, I, I, it was cleverly scripted. He always had great toss off lines and, and stuff. I, I think that, I think that, uh, going to Netflix, going to streaming cable, not being tied down by, by, uh, the network. I, I'm, I'm hoping that will actually open up some storytelling stuff. They may not have been able to do before. So, yeah. Yeah. So, then and next up, remember uh, they're changing showrunners on Star Trek Discovery. Alex Kurtzman, who was one, listed as one of the creators and executive producers, is back. Yeah, and I I don't know how much influence he had over the first season, so I'm kind of torn because I like I said I don't know how much influence he had. I do know now I have finished. Yes, I broke down. I have subscribed to CBS All Access. And, and finished up Star Trek Discovery. And, oh, good. And love this show for being. If I don't, if I don't get too hung up on, well, it doesn't look like what Star Trek the original series looked like. But my argument back is, if Gene Roddenberry could have had this budget and made the, you know, or, or these kinds of special effects, it's what he would have done. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, I've I've really enjoyed it. So I I. I I hate to hear somebody else's stepping in as showrunner when someone, when a team just did a season that I was really satisfied by. But what what convinced me to buy CB, to finally subscribe to CBS All Access is another show that just started this week, Strange Angel. Have you watched this yet? No, I was going to say Kurtzman is also. You said what kind of influence he had on it. He wrote the first. He wrote the pilot episode. The he Vulcan wrote the pilot Hello. episode, but I think that with, yeah. that with the the Volcanello, I do love that. It, it, but it's a different. It's a different tone than the rest. And I, I want to say I, I don't know how much of that arc was shaped by, like, I still say at this point change. the twists that happen throughout the season. I'm not sure that those were planned from the beginning. You know, oh, see, so, I, I buy entirely into the fact that that was planned from the word go. Oh, I, I think it's brilliant. I just don't... I like. I, I wouldn't necessarily credit Brian Fuller with that. I think he would have set oh, up yeah. the cast. And, and I'm not sure with Alex Kurtzman either, because for all that, Alex Kurtzman's been involved in the, in the big screen Star Trek revival, and I've had very mixed emotions about that after the first one. You know, So I, I, I don't know... We shall see. It's kind of hard to tell because I doubt they had a I doubt they had a Bible. They, a lot of the cast did not know right. the twists that were going to be coming out. They weren't allowed. They didn't get to see those parts of scripts and that sort of thing as they were shooting. Well, you know, it's so. like it's like Westworld, which has been a great season so far with with that. But when the first season of Westworld came in, they you know they they stopped halfway through production to figure out what the heck they were doing. Yeah. And that does, you know, that so I mean, greatness can come out of not knowing where you're going. But I'm saying, definitely, Star Trek Discovery did end up being this is one of my favorite 
Star Trek series. And I, you know, I, I just, I, I want to see more of more of it. Although they packed so much into those 13 episodes that oh, yeah. I'm like, well, we never talked about it because you hadn't. No, you hadn't I know, seen and it. I and I still want to. I, I just I, I do want to hold off a little bit because I, I yeah. I've got a thought there, and, and partially because some of the time has passed. But we will we, we will talk about yeah, it maybe the, when it. The, the one the point I want to make about the one point I want to make about Discovery is that more than any of the other shows, with the possible exception of Voyager, it has some very flawed characters in it, and I, I've always contended that Star Trek is held back by the perfection of the Federation. And the, the oh, crews. I, I, and, I absolutely and, agree with that. Most and, of the shows are an excuse for them to act out of character. But I so. also want to say that it is finally a Star Trek series that actually feels like serious science fiction. Yeah. So, and yeah. emphasis on the science. Like, there are concepts that are like, oh, yeah, that's not just gobbledygook. That's, that's an interesting idea. That's current quantum theory. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, and so I love that. So they launched this yeah. strange angel, which goes back to the beginning of rocket science, literally in the 30s, with a, uh, which is based on an allegedly true story of one of the pioneers of rocketry who turned out to also be a follower of Aleister Crowley. Oh. So wow, I, I, I love the look of this series, and I've always said like CBS All Access had to have two shows that would make it worth, it, worth my while to spend the money on it. And now it has the two shows. It has Star Trek Discovery and Strange Angel. And then we're going to have that Twilight Zone down the road. And I'm sure there will be more. And suddenly, I just you know want to recommend it. I think you, I don't know if you still have if you still have your subscription, but check out it's Strange. Easy, it's easy enough to start and stop. Yeah. So uh, check out Strange Angel, which is also doing the same of, of weekly releases, yeah. uh, weekly episode releases. And I I really liked the first episode. And so I'm I'm looking forward to that. So how do you feel about that the the weekly releases thing? Because you you missed it when Discovery came out because Discovery actually oh well I mean I I understand that once a series has you know once I'm co- going to a series that has been around for a while I'm going to binge yeah to, because I'm catching up with where everybody else is and that's different to me. Whereas if I were watching it's like on HBO I watch Westworld. Weekly, although if I've missed a few episodes, which a few weeks, which I did, then I then it's two or three episodes a night. That's yeah. the way it is. But I like having the option of waiting, you know, uh, of of having that. And it's either way. So I've got this first one. I will watch the second one next week and go. Yeah, okay, I'll follow along where I can. I mean, it's the same thing with Doctor Who. I love going back and watching Doctor Who in a row and seeing and seeing episodes. But I also love that it's once when a season's going on that once a week I get that hour and I know I'm, I'm making time to watch that one hour. See, those are two shows, Dr. Who and Star Trek discovery that we would sit down as a family and watch. And when it was over, we turned it off and we talked about it for half an hour. And so that's what I loved about, I love about Dr. Who. And that's what I love about um, discovery that it was, there was enough there that as viewers, we all had interesting and different takes on mm-hmm. what was going mm-hmm. on with different Absolutely. characters. Absolutely. So I, yeah. you know, I don't. I, I I like that model. Runaways did the same thing. Uh, you know, if you watch that on Hulu, that that was weekly, and yeah. I I fell a little bit behind on that, but still was able to kind of have enough of that situation. So, I, you know, it's like I said. I I and if Netflix went to it. I'd be happy. I think they sort of did with that David Letterman interview series. I don't know if they've had a dramatic series where they've done like a yeah. weekly release, but I think we should go back to that because there's, again, 
There's just so much TV. You got to give people a chance to find it and catch up a little bit because there is too much. And yet, if you had told me this 40 years ago that I was going to grow up and have this much television that I would adore, so even like, you know, there are good series that I have to rate as almost mediocre because there's so many really good series that I need to figure that out. So that's all I'm going to talk about this week. And thank you all for listening up to this point and beyond. <laughs> Hopefully coming back to our <laughs> next episode. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet. And I do want to say I apologize for being out of here. Of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, please do remember to write in at to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can comment on our Facebook page, which is Fanboy Planet. You can tweet us at Fanboy Planet. You're sensing a, a, a pattern, aren't you? And yeah. uh, we follow it on Instagram <laughs> at Fanboy Planet. But thank you or all. Or just go out into the night sky and yell, Fanboy Planet! Does that work? No, but it would be great if people did it. Oh, I'm mad as hell, and I want to Fan live Boy on Fanboy Planet. Planet. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, there are days. So, fanboyplanet.com. Thank you all for listening. I'm Derek McCoy, Chief of Fanboy Planet. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for, for good. good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.